Warning, what you're about to listen to contains spoilers for season one and two of Insatiable. So if you haven't watched those, go binge them, come back here, and we'll help you digest it. Oh, hey guys, there you are. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm really excited to bring you today's conversation. These are a couple different topics and subjects that I wanted to learn more about and get into and get great perspective on. So I kind of became obsessed with these women and somehow convinced them into sharing their insight on the podcast. I'm excited to bring you those conversations, but primarily I'll be sitting down and talking with Irene Choi. So Irene plays Dixie on Insatiable. You've probably also seen her pop into one of your favorite TV shows. You might not know she is a Harvard graduate, an incredible crafter. She embroidered me a patch, which is like an exact likeness of my cat Velma. She is also a cat lady like myself. So there's a lot of, I have a lot of trust in her. (laughs) So this is Irene Choi. I hope you guys love this conversation. So throughout season one and certainly throughout season two, we have kind of stepped into one of the most interesting characters where there's so much there. The gorgeous actress, Irene Choi, who plays Dixie. Hey, guys. Hey. Thanks for sitting. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah. Glad to be here. So I kind of want to just step into, obviously, like, season two is bananas and so much happens. And everything that you thought you knew about Dixie really gets kind of turned on its head. Her origin story, and we really step into that. And when we start to see when she loses the crown in season one and kind of becomes a little unhinged because that was where she focused all of her energy and her need to kind of create and make this control thing happen— I quite enjoyed seeing her own the wiener taco. And I liked seeing her in that position of kind of structure and figuring out like she can run things and she's actually built maybe in a way to where that could be very productive. Yeah. I mean, I think she's definitely an alpha personality. Um, I think as all the the women in the show are. Yeah. I think Dixie's sort of journey through that has been kind of different just because she didn't really know herself. Yeah. Um, And so I think it's like one of those things where tragedy had to happen to her. She was sort of blindly led to live a life by a very overbearing mom and also the tragedy of what happens to her physically and and also losing her mother to kind of make something of herself Mm. that wasn't just going to be a carbon copy of her mother. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I know that in, in my life and in my experience, any amount of growth and change has happened immediately following, like, what I knew being flipped on its head. Right. For that to be as deeply rooted as her origin story, like, her age. Like, she really had no idea so much about herself. You know what? To be fair, I know that sounds so ridiculous. Like, I remember my first day of kindergarten. I'm waiting in line. This kid, I remember his name to this day, Sam Baker, looks at me, and I'm like, hi, and he goes, my two-year-old sister is taller than you. <gasps> Sam Baker, you <laughs> dirty dog. <laughs> so I was five. Wow. I was five. There you go. And then someone was like, my two-year-old sister. Ta- yeah, well. Yeah, and so like this so you kid could see thought, why someone would get a twist. I could see. And so like, you know what? In Regina's defense, when I was five, 
People were, thought I was two. You were about two size. I was about <laughs> two. I was the size of a two-year-old. Yeah. Um, okay, so with moms, I would say especially as women, we have really tricky relationships with moms. I'm very close to my mom. I love my mom. I find a lot in learning how to communicate with her for some reason— there's so many people that I can be so emotionally mature and clear-headed communicating with. And I like revert to being like a petulant preteen when I speak with my mom. And I have this experience a lot with a lot of my girlfriends is like whether they have a great mom or a tricky mom, it's really tricky to have a relationship with your mom as an adult woman. And with Dixie and Regina's kind of codependent relationship in nature and obviously Regina being Regina and obviously Angie and Patty don't have an ideal mother-daughter relationship and you know Magnolia doesn't see her mom very often so we kind of have different yeah, like, all representations the, all the of mom relationships. Do, and then Nani yeah. doesn't have a, and, yeah, a mom. She's lost yeah, a mom. So, yeah so, so you're right all the gals here we do have uh, a different a relationship with our mother like I think it probably weighs in a lot to Dixie of course in good and bad ways and she's a very close relationship but it is an adoptive mother yeah you're right yeah. and it's it's never occurred to her that that is your family and it yeah. kind of has occurred to her in that way but it definitely, you know, you see her, to your point, having her identity dictated to her by just following around what her mom wants her to do and being that little partner in crime. And then when she kind of loses her mom and pushes her mom away and when that relationship changes, she's kind of reeling for identity a little bit, even in how she finds it as the opposite of her mom. You know, when you grow up, you think your parents are superheroes, right? Mm -hmm. Especially your mom if you're close to your mom. Everything your mom says is right. Everything she does is amazing. Mm -hmm. She can never be wrong. But there's always a time, I think, in everyone's life where you realize that your parents are just as human and flawed as you are. Mm. And I always think that's a very interesting part in your life, right? It's, it's like why we fight mm. and why we rebel is because we are raised to think this, but we also teach ourselves to think this because it's safe, mm -hmm. right? That you think— my parents will always be this constant source of authority mm -hmm. and shelter and guidance. And they will, and just, you know, they'll always be right. And then you realize you're like, they're humans. They, they screw up mm -hmm. just like the rest of us. Um, and you can't, a lot of, I think there's a lot of times where you don't really know how to deal with that. And I think when you're an adult, you've sort of worked past that. So you have like a different relationship that you forge with your parents, especially in her case. She... I mean, as funny as it is, Regina's own father didn't know that Dixie existed. Right. As if we're calling back to season you're one right. here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, she oh, had, yeah, that line where she says, call your grandfather, introduce yourself. Yeah, until, yeah. exactly. So when bad. she gets arrested. When she gets arrested, yeah. And even then, like, you have to realize, like, when she gets arrested, Dixie was not angry. I don't see her as a flawed being yeah. in that moment. You know, Regina is the really the only example um, and constant factor that, that that Dixie has had in her life. I think we finally see that moment with Dixie in this season where it, it takes a lot for her to see it, but it it's like, oh my gosh, like she, she took me from a mall. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a, that is even by Dixie's standards, not a good thing yeah, to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the kind of like, we've always been on the same side. You've always had my back. And then I realized like you actually like robbed me of my real life and what could have yeah. been my real family and like knowing my heritage and exactly. like all of this. Like that, that is, and you know, of course, 
the show is so broad and so funny and so wild and so camp and that affords us to kind of yes and and step into these themes in a way that um, is like maybe digestible. But that definitely was one of the like kind of darkest things that I think that anyone had to go through was Dixie realizing that everything she knew was a lie. Everything she knew was a lie. And um, yeah, and she realizes, wow, my mom is not a good person. Um, and, but then I do like that we we come around and see that she realizes this is still my mother. Mm. And yeah, and I don't know if it's like a Stockholm Syndrome thing yeah. where it's like you'll just always yeah. love the person that, you know, your your captor, so to speak. But um, but also it's like, it's important for her to realize. It's like, well, this is the woman who raised me mm. and clothed me and fed me. Um, and she might've made many mistakes along the way, but the I think the love there is a real love. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I heard this from uh, my therapist recently where she uh, said, children are the most and fastest and easiest forgiving when it comes to their parents. Mm. People, or just people in general, mm. are the most, you know, it's always the easiest and the fastest to forgive your own parents than your friends or your siblings or any significant others. I think that's very much the case. Was it meaningful for you to come into season two with such kind of an awareness of not only Asian American representation on screen, but also off screen and making sure, you know, our writer's room really reflected kind of the stories that we were telling. And you could tell that Lisa Parsons, one of the writers, she, I know, was really mindful to kind of spend time with some of the actors and make sure that it felt like any anything that she experienced was kind of conveyed. And I mean, everyone has their own story, right? Of and everyone course. has their own experience level. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly important. I'm so grateful that um, Lisa Parsons was in the writer's room this year and that she definitely had, I mean, it was her episode that that K-pop episode was definitely her episode. Also important to note that we had uh, an Asian American director for that episode mm -hmm. as well. Um, for the record, um, this just does, this does, is not, I'm not just speaking for this show. It's always so important to have people of different experiences in a writer's room, obviously, right? Um, and that does not mean just your person, like that of, of your race has every, a lot to do with it, your gender, your experiences, whatever you are. Your whole collective frame exactly, of reference. Exactly, right. But, you know, I think it's important to have someone like Lisa um, or someone who can speak to some of the experiences that this character has in real life. And it's also just interesting, like, yeah, I'm someone who I, you know, I'm of full Korean descent and I'm on the show and Danny is someone who's of full Korean descent in the show, but we have vastly different experiences. Mm -hmm. um, he grew up in the South. And then we've got Alex, who himself is also half Where's Korean. He, from? he is from New York. That's so funny. An East Coast boy, yeah. a West Coast girl, a Southern boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, to everyone in the Hollywood world, in the grand scheme of things, we just read as Asians, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or even specifically, Koreans, mm. but we've had, the three of us have had very different experiences, I think, growing up. Obviously, the Asian story that's sort of being told in Insatiable is sort of like the Korean-American story, mm. which actually isn't inaccurate because I believe outside of like Korea and then uh, Los Angeles and then New York, Atlanta has the biggest uh, Korean community mm. in the world. Yeah. That said, um, it's important for people to just, I think, keep in mind that I think because for so long we had it's been so we Asians have been so 
underrepresented. I think that when we finally got our stories being told, we were just sort of having it be told as the Asian American story. Like in general. In general. And there are a lot of us in the world. <laughs> um, China is a big country. Uh, India is a big country. Um, <laughs> Asia, if you look on the map, it's pretty freaking big. And very densely populated. It is very densely yeah. populated. Yeah. And so I just remember being asked the question, like, how do you feel the Asian stories being represent- like, rep- represented? How accurate do you think it is? And I was like, I mean, it's accurate, sure. But it's also important to note that it's like, we have so many subsects within this. It's like, I I can really only accurately tell you what the Korean American story is like, um, which is very, very, very different from what the Japanese American story is like. Um, You know, I didn't have family members who were in in internment camps. It's also different from what the Chinese American story was like. You know, there's um, a lot of Chinese people came to the States uh, way before and uh, a lot of the other communities um, back when they were working on the railroads and were living in the South. I think we kind of forget that. And you know, my story is very different from the Cambodian refugee immigrant story and the Vietnamese uh, um, story of how they came after the war and a lot of them settled in, you know, New Orleans. Yeah. And there are, I guess my point is that there are so many stories within our community that need to be told. Yeah, a lot of progress has been done, but I think for us to just get there a little bit further, we just need to, I think, keep in mind that there are more specific realities that mm. need to be represented. Sure. Um, and the generalizations are like already what get us kind of in trouble in terms of being really close-minded or being presumptuous about anyone. And so even within further representation, like the more specificity we have, the the better it kind of can reflect everyone's reality and everyone's experience, but not only just on a, like a person-to-person level, but even more just carved out within, as you say, a very large continent. Yeah. Like there are so many different cultures in there. All right, you guys, I promise we'll come right back to Irene. But in the meantime, this got me thinking. There are so many different combinations that make up a person. And in this, we still have a long way to go in terms of exploring every different version of the Asian American story. On our show, Insatiable, we step into particularly the Korean American story. So I wanted to invite back Lisa Parsons, one of our fabulous writers from Insatiable Season 2, to ask her about creating a character who navigates discovering their cultural identity, especially a little bit later in life. So as Lisa is of Korean-American descent herself, I wanted to know how it was important, why it was important, and what all went into telling this one particular story. So here's Lisa. You know, Dixie is a pageant queen who has, like, a mom who's, like, batshit crazy and pulls her into all of her schemes. And she doesn't even have, like, any kind of um, Asian-American, like, influences in her life. She's not really that close with Donald Choi, even though she sleeps with him at one point, And she even assumes that he's Chinese, like, even though he's Korean. So it's kind of funny to see an Asian-American person who is, like, out of touch about, like, her own culture. We wanted to be able to have her explore her identity like in a way that still maintain like the comedy in the show, but got to the heart of like her, you know, wanting to know who she is to also when she turns the wiener taco into K-pop, it's not just necessarily like exploring her identity. It's also 
an olive branch to her family to say like, hey, like, accept me. Like, I can be Korean like you guys as well. Like, I want to be a part of this family. But what I loved about how these characters were portrayed is that it shows that there's no one way to be Asian. And sure, there are plenty of like Asian American kids that, you know, are doctors and lawyers and are very studious and very success driven. But there are also Asian American kids that like run the whole spectrum of like being artists or like fashion designers or actors or anything. Um, the way that, by and large, people have processed our show is without poking holes in it and just being like, it's so broad that you have to go along for the ride. You have to say like, okay, I guess everything that I learned about this character is now going to be flipped upside down. And then again in two episodes. That camp, I think we really leaned into this season. I feel like that has only kind of grown in terms of the shape of everything and how you've played it and how broad it's been and how it's really important to be super grounded in some moments because that affords us the broadness in other moments and vice versa, that juxtaposition. As an actor, how has going on this ride tonally been for you? I feel like for Dixie particular, like she's always been, yeah, this is this sort of, she's the villain who's always sort of been unhinged. Um, so for me, I have to experience it to be a ride. Mm. She is such an exaggeration of a character that just speaking as an actor, like, I don't think you could ever make a safe choice in playing her. Mm. You have to kind of go to the back wall. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it certainly helps that I work with Arden. Yeah. And I think like the duality of you guys is amazing because you are like so funny and so effervescent. And I think like, it jumps off because the scripts are so wild and you're driving a yellow Hummer and you're <laughs> polishing pink guns and like, it's all there for you. So really what's needed is almost playing against it. Like it's almost playing the truth of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there there is a trap, which is when someone says in their mind, now I have to do comedy, then they think they have to put funny on it. When in reality, like it's kind of earned by just playing the sincerity of it because it is so bananas. Yeah, yeah, um, I think that was that was a hard part for me is there were moments when I said a lot of times, I know where the comedy is. Like, it's written out there. Yeah. It's a funny line. Mm -hmm. um, I know what the beats are. I know what the joke is. But it's like— How do you get there? How do you justify it? How do you yeah, ground it? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it is—it's it's an exaggerated character, but it, we're humans. Mm -hmm. We play human characters, so— Yeah, and we can't ever— you know, in the same sense that they say never judge your character, we also can't ever, like, play the character. We can't ever kind of from the outside be like, look how funny this is that this person is doing this thing. We kind of have to be like, this is the only thing that makes sense. And people are like, that is fully off the wall. Both of our characters kind of navigate in completely different ways tricky mental landscapes. And in the first season— Dixie ID'd as some of these invisible disabilities, there is a very linear train of people doing certain things. And then when you navigate a trickier mental landscape, it becomes nonlinear. There are things that only make sense to me. And it's so, it's mind boggling that it wouldn't be so clear to people around me in terms of like, pushing clear twice on the microwave after I've closed it, even if it's like at zero or locking the doors every night twice. Like the things that I do that are 
are just like, I cannot sleep. I will, like, fine. It's not important. I agree that it's not important and I've already done it once and now I'm going to lie in bed awake for an hour, unable to sleep unless I just do it another time. It, it just makes sense in my mind. It's only a thing that tracks. It does prohibit me in some ways. And also in some ways it can be my superpower. And I think like in terms of someone who has found, like we all need a release, right? And when we're dealing with these characters who are insatiable all for different things, they all just- Wait, that's the title of the show. Oh, do you see what I did? That's crazy. She's- Unable to be satiated. What? I just (laughs) noticed that. (laughs) Dealing with these people who have that, that kind of like hunger and that need in them that's like very seldom reconciled and like that itch that's seldom scratched. And I think like if there was one thing that I would offer to Patty, it's why don't you just take a couple months to look within and do the work and get those things (laughs) in check. Do some yoga. You know, like meditate and and go to therapy. Like having the tools will only help us. And having the tools to do the thing will only help us. And I think the most frustrating part for me playing Patty, and I wonder if this was your experience as well with Dixie, was knowing when they're making the choice that is not the productive choice, that is not the healthy choice, that is not the choice. Like maybe they know better. Maybe they don't know better. But at this point, like they're faced with options and they just continue doing a thing that is impulsive or they start to do the work and then they give up on it and they like to do a 180. I would say that the biggest thing that I've learned is that doing the thing which maybe takes more time and more work and more like discomfort in terms of your own personal growth saves you so many problems in the long run or can really avoid getting you into negative situations. In terms of being with Dixie, was there something that you took away that was similar or was different? And was there any time where you just wanted to scream and you were like, you're doing a bad thing or? I know that sounds weird. It just makes me sound like a psychopath. I never thought Dixie was a bad person. I don't see her as a bad person. I don't, because all of the bad decisions that she's made has come from a place that I think she thinks is right, if that makes sense at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I can only speak from my own experiences. I mean, I have the privilege of uh, being an able-bodied person, which she is not in in this new season. Um, Going back, I know in season one, there's a part where she sort of talks about um, being diagnosed with OCD and being on the spectrum and um, having ADD, which is all things I very much relate to, especially I have been diagnosed with, with ADD. Um, I have been diagnosed with uh, major depressive disorders and major anxiety disorders. Um, and that those are all things that I struggle with in my daily life. And, you know, they're invisible afflictions, right? Sure. By that way, we have the privilege of walking around and looking like that. We're just completely these able-bodied people. Um, and we don't necessarily face the sort of um, prejudice that other people with actual physical disabilities do face on a day-to-day basis. Um, that said, it is important, I think, to, because in season one, Dixie had this, like I said, this invisible affliction. And then in season two, we have her now with a physical, visible mm-hmm. uh, disability. Um, and it's interesting that she has both of these things because I think for me as an actor and, as, and also playing the character, it's two different experiences. Before we get back to Irene, I wanted to give us a little bit of perspective from my friend Tatiana. She's a babe, brilliant, and a badass. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. 
Hi, my name is Tatiana Lee. I am a Hollywood inclusionist for Respectability. Respectability is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization whose mission is to fight stigmas and advance opportunities for and with people with disabilities. My job as a Hollywood inclusionist is to advocate for disability representation in mass media. I myself also am a actor and a model and a person with a visible disability. I was born with spina bifida and use a wheelchair as my mode of transportation. And I know non-visible disabilities comes with its own set of stigmas and challenges, but one in four people live with a disability. And that's a huge population. And I and that includes visible and non-visible disabilities. And I feel the more people are comfortable with disclosing that they have a non-visible disability, the more we can destigmatize disability as a whole and really push for a more inclusive society. So who are people with disabilities? So according to the ADA, disability is defined as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. So things like OCD and ADHD, depression, things like that, those are things that impair your daily activities sometimes. And so that is classified as a disability. And yes, you do have a certain level of environmental privilege, but really that's it. It's just environmental privilege. You have the option to disclose whether or not you have a disability, opposed to someone like myself who, when you see me, I'm in a wheelchair, so you know I have a disability. So someone who may have ADHD or someone who is dealing with depression, um, you have the option to disclose and let people know if you have a disability or not. But when you do disclose, you have the privilege of being accommodated under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I think when more people who are dealing with non-visible disabilities will disclose about their disability, it will really help destigmatize disability in other forms, especially forms that are a lot more visible. Told you she rocked. So we'll hear a little bit more from Tatiana in a second. But first, back to Irene. It's important to realize the gravity, I guess, of how different these two things are. I think the conversation around these sort of invisible mental afflictions is more open and accepted than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that also sort of leads us into the dangerous territory of claiming them as almost as an excuse of being a bad person. Sure. Um, Like self-diagnosing to justify behavior when there are real people who it actually prohibits like their daily life. Correct. Um, I do wonder if Dixie does that to a a certain degree where she is talking about how she has all these problems. There is a part of me where I'm like, is she defending herself? Sure. Is she talking, is she being open and vulnerable or is she making excuses for her behavior? Yeah. Um, The last thing I want to get into when, when Dixie's life does kind of flip upside down and she has to now not only navigate a full-blown identity crisis, but also a morality reconciliation. And now I have a whole new way of living life. And there is a whole new set of challenges to experience. And the people that I know that have disabilities, they have had them progressingly and increasingly for a long time. I actually haven't been close with someone who woke up one day with a disability and had to fully 
change their way of moving and existing and adjust to inaccessibility that was all around them that they maybe never noticed or were never affected by? Um, you know, I actually do have two friends um, that I, I know very well um, who have actually had this experience that Dixie has had. Um, one of them, a, a female friend, she um, happened in high school. Um, you know, when she had, there was an accident and she, yeah, you know, woke up in the hospital one day and it's like, you're paralyzed from waist down and, uh, have a friend, um, one of my guy friends from my hometown who had a sports injury, um, and also woke up one day and was like, you will never walk again. You know what they say the most is they lost a lot of friends, Mm. which is hard, um, and you think that it's because maybe you're a broken person. But then they realize now as they've gotten older is that those people just didn't know what the hell to say. Yeah. They didn't know how so to What do you there. say? Yeah. Because sometimes even if they love you, they just feel like emotional support just isn't enough. Yeah. And I think that's how we also feel. It's like… It's like you feel like your love isn't enough and so you disappear because you don't want to, you know? And mm-hmm. and that's that's what I also hear from them. It's like, be the same friend that you were. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all we care about. Just show up. Just show up. Like, yeah, you know? That was a re- really interesting perspective because, um, you know, I have never been in that situation because, I, you know, I don't have a physical disability like that. Okay, guys, I wanted to get Tatiana's perspective on this. A lot of times because of the stigmas that comes with living with a visible disability, you can lose friends and not have friends around because they may not understand and they want to help you and and things like that and just think you need help or you're broken. And you're not really broken. It's just, it's a life experience and you're just now having to move about the world in a different way. And I think when it comes to having friends, it's really important. And as a friend, just be there for them. You don't need to really do anything. I mean, as someone with a visible disability and uses a wheelchair and has to deal with inaccessibility, yes, it does get challenging, but we don't need anyone to necessarily save us. We just need someone to just be there. And some of the things that I really appreciated about Dixie and what she dealt with is she really handled her situation like a boss. Like even the fact that she didn't have a lot of friends, but she did have her mom there to support her and still give her that love and support, even if she may not have handled it in the best way or knew what to do. Her mom was still just there. And then I think it was really, really cool how she evolved into finding her power in being a business owner and, you know, getting to know her family, her real family, and finding a time to explore who she is as a person and her identity. I think that was very, very powerful to show that there was more for her to do than just contemplate about her disability and feeling sorry for herself, which is something that people in society assume that someone with a disability does. One of the things that I really appreciate about Insatiable 
is it's giving everyone permission to be flawed. And sometimes in society, people assume that someone with a disability isn't flawed beyond their disability. And that becomes their defining narrative. And what I loved about Dixie is she was flawed in so many other ways besides just her disability. And that is something that people with disabilities do deal with. You may have a moment when you acquire your disability. And so you assume that it's your karma that you're supposed to be miserable and live your life in these horrible conditions, but that's not true. And we need to look at disability is, it's just a natural occurrence that everyone at some point in life is gonna deal with, whether it's sickness, old age, accident, everyone at some point is gonna deal with some form of disability. And we all have our own journey of getting to that point of becoming comfortable with who we are and accepting who we are. And um, I really loved Dixie's journey in going through this. And she realized that it wasn't a curse. If anything, it was more of a gift because she got to explore being a business owner, exploring knowing her family, wanting to learn about her culture and her heritage and where she came from and really exploring her relationship with her mom, which was amazing journeys. And so I really appreciated that Dixie became this three-dimensional character that sometimes media doesn't portray when it comes to people with disabilities. And this is something that is real and rings true to so many people living with disabilities and people who don't live with disabilities. So I think this was an amazing narrative to show that people with disabilities have so much more going on in their life than just that one defining thing. And if you are a friend of someone who is newly dealing with being injured or having a new diagnosis or disability, it's fine to not know what to do more than anything is just be a friend to them. Just be there like you would any other friend that's going through something. And it's okay to not know what to do. The best you can do is just be there. Hey guys, I hope that was helpful and give you a lot to think about. Meantime, back to Irene. But I mean, just speaking from my two friends who have gone through this, I don't think it's unwise to assume that Dixie was having a similar experience, especially also kind of given the fact that she doesn't really have she friends. She doesn't have friends, The yeah. one friend that she had, which was her mom, is gone. And I think it's the first time that she sees someone, oh, this person cares about me. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a time when you feel very scared and alone. And I think it is one of the very first real human experiences that she has in the entire show in a way. Yeah. And I think it's great too, because Shannon is a lawyer. She has a career. She has a very high success rate in her career and in her field. She says whatever she wants. She's certainly flawed in terms of she's crass and whatnot. She's not like an imperfect character, but she, or I mean a perfect character, but she is a badass. And to be able to see someone around her that she can just be like, oh, okay. In any moment where your life gets flipped upside down and you have to kind of reel to adjust there is, in my makeup, there is like a first wave of like, is this hopeless? And then it's like, okay, well, where is the hope? And you look for it. And I love that she found it. And also it could be easy to not 
Yeah. And I think it's also interesting that after that experience, her sort of experience, her connection with Shannon, you know, she's able to connect with other people on a much better basis. Um, But now I think she's able to sort of go on and sort of forge these meaningful relationships with other people. Like I said, going back, it's like she only had one friend in her life. And she thought that one friend was gone at the time that she needed it most. Mm. And there were these people that sort of, you know, there's some that reached out to her. And it's like, hey, you're still worthy of doing everything that you want to do. Yeah, I think that that's a really cool takeaway and a cool thing to remember is that there is always, if you look for the help, the help will always be there, right? And it's been really historically hard for me to ask for help, like as a person, especially in moments that would make me look or feel vulnerable or susceptible. And something that I've learned in the last few years has just been like how hurtful it can be actually to just not ask for help and assume people are going to help you and then resent them for not helping you. And that can create a lot of bitterness and toxicity. And then on the converse, if you just say like, oh, hey, could you get the door for me? Or I'm feeling really, really low right now. I'm so sorry. Like, do you want to come and just sit and be with me? I don't need you to say anything. I just need you to watch a movie with me. Both of those things, I've never been met with like, no, I don't want to do that for you. You're asking too much of me, which has always been my fear. Friendship is just showing up for each other. And yeah, yeah, I think it really, a lot just comes from just showing up for a person. Um, All right. So what are a few things that you are grateful for? My pets. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have two cats that I love dearly. We made a joke on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, I think cat, what I said that I I think of my cats as both my husbands and my sons. (laughs) And you made a joke that cat husband son, which I thought was great because I think that's a great name. Cat husband son is like an amazing name for a cat. I was thinking. Cat husband son is a great name. It's also a great name for like a country singer. Yeah. We love cat husband son. Cat husband son is awesome. He would definitely play a bachelor date. Oh, cat husband (laughs) son. I was so excited to see Cat Husbandson playing. I've always loved his music. It was we so step ro- into this date room. It was so romantic. And He's he- playing guitar on a stage. <laughs> there were candles. Um, <laughs> Any anything else that you are grateful for? I'll do a couple actually. Uh-huh. I'm grateful for learning. I'm grateful for the the very specific and unique mental makeup that I have that helps me see the world the way that I do. Because while it is sometimes daunting and like I get stuck in my doorway and don't want to leave the house. I also feel inspired and renewed and excited to have conversations and ask questions to like my friend who I've spent months with and seen in different contexts and like can still learn so much about you and about your voice. You're always a surprise, Debbie. (laughs) In the best ways. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely grateful for, for friendship and friends. I am also someone that is, that tends to not ask for help because I think that it is an admission of weakness. Right. But it's like, no one is judging me except for myself. Yeah. No one, when I, when my friends ask me for help, not a single part of me thinks they're weak. That they're weak. Yeah. If anything, I'm like, I'm glad that you trust me enough. Yeah. And that you love well, me you know enough yeah. to, to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I always have to constantly remind myself that I have those people in my network and I'm, and I'm grateful for those people because a lot of them I've sort of reached out to lately and, and have been reminded that they are there for me and they'll always be there for me. And it's just, it's when it comes down to it, it's just, it's me judging myself the harshest. Mm. Thank you. I'm grateful you were here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I am grateful she was here. And I am grateful for all of these women. 
sharing their perspective so openly and bravely and in a way that's so educated and cool and inspiring and kind um, and helpful and only helps us be better neighbors to our friends in the world and strangers in the world as we navigate things for us to have these perspectives. So I hope you guys learned something or took something away from this that was inspired. If you want to learn more about respectability, you can go to respectability.org. You can learn about what they do or volunteer or even donate to support their work. They have really cool resources and guides and assets on there on disabilities, both visible and non-visible. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review. Say something cool. Say what you like. Let us know. It really helps us kind of shape the show up. And maybe tell a friend about something that you heard on this show. Feel free to share the podcast and let me know. Go comment on our Instagram or whatever. We're really out here just trying to connect with people, clearly. So at there you are pod on Instagram, thereyouarepod.com. Love you guys. Bye.